folks. Welcome back to another FNI Rap Chat podcast here at the podcast studios, um, which is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. So I'm Mia Malarkey. This is my second podcast. And today I have with me a wonderful filmmaker who I've admired for many, many years. He inspired me when I first started making films and I bought myself a little DSLR and didn't know what I was doing. He was one of the people that I would watch on the internet and see what he was making. So Miles O'Reilly is a music video maker, um, a documentarian, a composer, um, and he's been working with some of Ireland's finest musicians down through the last decade. So um, Cuevin O'Reilly, Sinead O'Connor, Lisa O'Neill, Glenn Hansard, Martin Hayes. I mean, the list is endless. He's worked with so many of Ireland's, you know, most talented um, musicians, and a lot of them who I would I love and would be big fans of. So very excited to be talking to him today and yeah we're going to just I guess explore the craft of music video and the craft of filmmaking um, so I really hope you enjoy this podcast thank you So I have with me in studio the wonderful Miles O'Reilly, um, who I've been a big fan of for years. And I guess I sort of started making films around the same time as you, and I discovered some of your music videos for Lisa Hannigan. Mm. I think maybe it was around 2011, 2012 or something like that. Um, and I found them so inspiring. They were very artistically fresh for what was coming out of Ireland at the time, I think. Mm. Um, and then I think your story also felt inspiring because it had such a DIY energy. So like guerrilla shooting, run and gun. And that was inspiring for someone who didn't come from the industry, didn't have the training and was trying to figure it out with like a small DSLR. Mm -hmm. So I kind of would look at your work online and think, oh, this like, look what he's doing. So, you know, there's no limit to what you can do with a DSLR and a cool team of people. Yeah. So do you want to maybe tell me a little bit about that work? Um, I spent a lot of time um, answering back um, people who were asking me those questions. How, how are you doing that with a DSLR camera? And what DSLR camera? And is there a particular lens I should be using? I do do get back to I did get back to all of them, but like I didn't think about what I was doing at all. Really, you know, I was just lucky to have known Lisa Hannigan from being in music in the music industry. And I knew all the musicians before they knew me as a filmmaker or as somebody who could facilitate the making of a video for them. Like I was just a musician that would have, would have otherwise been kind of bothering them for a support slot or, you know, it's actually it's much easier to ask a musician, can I make a video for you than it is to ask them for a support slot at a <laughs> gig. Um, so it was quite funny, the transition, having done that work for a, Connor from Villagers and James Vincent McMorrow and Lisa Hannigan all at the same time, because they were all releasing something at the same time. I suddenly, within the space of a month, was considered to be the video guy, <laughs> you know? And um, which was crazy because I knew nothing about making videos other than I could get away with making it look like it was shot 
by a crew or aesthetically mm. kind of um, that there was some kind of planning that went into it aesthetically and that the production of it um, there might have been a producer or a, a crew whereas it was just me you know working you, in my kitchen and you had like this is maybe what made me so intrigued at the start was that you had such a, an aesthetic it was mm. a really strong clear distinctive aesthetic that wasn't maybe native to Ireland at that point it was maybe coming out of some other countries like American music videos but um, definitely uh, France and uh, Blogatech at the time mm. they were unreal okay um, that was an inspiration was an inspiration because the first time I put on a 51.4 mm. and filmed through it as opposed to take pictures through it okay so were you doing photography already then yeah I yeah. was in love with photography uh, as a kid you know and that's because that maybe that's what it was that I was seeing back then. Yeah. It was like this beautiful sensibility where the lens, you know, the depth of field was really fine, and the way you'd pull focus onto from the hands to the face, and just all these touches that felt very photographic. Mm. And you seemed to do it so intuitively, like it was just immediate to you or something. Yeah, it was. Um, I I'd done. I had spent a lot of money on my next door neighbors. Uh, they had a, an account for photographs, for printing photographs, like an account there. And the father went to pay the bill at the end of the year, and it was like 3,000 euro, because we, at 11 and 12, myself and my neighbor were um, taking pictures of everything we could. Amazing. Sending in a film, roll mm. of film every day. And the two of us in our private little world from about, from about 11 to 15 had acquired this sense of taste for what we thought was aesthetically beautiful or mm. you know it's like we needed we discovered depth of field at the same time <laughs> like right i'm gonna do a flower and the background is going to be <laughs> totally blurred it's like mm. so exciting but to and get that stuff done early was an mm. advantage you know but it also seemed like who's this guy who's coming out of nowhere in terms of the music video world and the yeah. film world who already has a kind of distinctive touch mm. you know that's an amazing way to start out i guess Thanks for pointing that out, because I never really thought of it like that, you know. Mm. I just thought the equipment was something, the, the, the kind of like the ingredients that went into the lens and the adapter and the camera and stuff. I thought that's really what was making it happen. Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things that works really well about that style is it mirrors the intimacy that the music creates. Yeah. So like someone like Lisa Hannigan or you know, Glenn Hansard or like the the folk scene in Ireland, there's this kind of closeness to the music. It's not overly produced with like loads of kind of big instrumentation or orchestration or whatever. It's got this real yeah. intimacy. And I think your cinematography does too. Yeah. So I think that was a beautiful, yeah. I don't know, it's probably, uh, did you think about that? or? I did. I did actually think about that because uh, I started filming music because um, I was watching a lot of Werner Herzog films. Mm. And it seems in Werner in Werner's heyday, um, he would almost edit to the music. You know, it'd be like the soundtrack was just so instrumental in what the camera did mm. and how how the camera might explore a room before landing on a subject, and then the subject says something beautiful. But it's all like I picture Werner in the studio doing that with the music blaring. You know, <laughs> and um, so I realized his buzz, Werner's buzz, mm. when I tried it for myself, installed some soundtrack from a movie and just, and put it to like, just holiday footage, you know. Mm. But that was like so exciting. So then to suddenly realize, well, 
the, the subject I'm filming could be playing and then that could be the soundtrack to also mess around with the narrative, which mm. just became so exciting. And so what was your, like, like probably a bit technical, but what, what did you start out with in terms of the camera and the editing and what were you using? Uh, just my, just a laptop at home, a uh, really cheap one. Mm. Um, but as soon as, like, I could, as soon as I realized that you could, on, on a cheap computer, edit quite large footage, you know, quite heavy stuff, you know, by turning it ProRes or whatever, that just changed everything. And, mm. Um, so it got very ambitious in terms of like, um, I, I was using a small Canon EOS. It was a terrible camera, but it was one of the first that could film anything. And the filming was definitely better than phone quality. Mm. And then the, the 50 lens on that just made it look like a movie camera. Mm. But the colors would be compromised. But <laughs> it was definitely everything a movie camera was. Yeah. And then I suppose quickly, I guess musicians are probably reaching out to you because you, you, yeah. you're so prolific. Yeah, well, th thanks. No, they were. It was initially, though, it was just like, I'd, instead, of, instead of stealing soundtracks and stealing music to play and mess around with and do visuals and put things on YouTube, why don't I film musicians? And it was initially me that had gone to a bunch of friends saying, can I film you, you know? It was actually me who approached the, the Lisa Hannigan camp as well and said, do you mind if I jump in on a gig and just film a gig? Filmed the whole thing, um, and then and then after some, I, I guess some of them coming back and saying, "Look, we'll pay you to do that again." Um, and after that, I guess amongst themselves, they might have just said, "Oh, yeah, Miles is the one. I'll give you his number." Mm. And I did get, like, it was around two thousand thirteen. Mm. Um, about a period of three years, um, suddenly everyone wanted me to work with with them. You know? Yeah, amazing. Uh, it was great. I did say no to no to a lot of things because it's like I was a musician. I had a very firm taste, um, very, very firm idea of what I love about music, and that's what you're saying about the Irish identity and folk music is almost a sincere, honest expression of one's innermost anguishes and fear and love and and, and desire and things that we aren't able to really express in a conversation so uh, irish do it really well singing it's like it's even more magnified in between the words in the way we say things and how we mm. breathe and we're especially tuned to pick up on um the way we express our emotions outside of vocabulary you know so for me it was about magnified finding the musicians who did that but also all my work would have to be with musicians who who did that, who were able to kind of like be honest enough and share their thoughts so clearly that the audience can adopt those thoughts just as clearly and realize that they have them too. And this kind of like cleansing of everyone's frustrations and whatever it is, you know, it's like a shared experience in Ireland. And I guess that's why a lot of International musicians love Irish audiences too, you know, because they, they totally get it, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I guess just once they started contacting me, I just stuck to that kind of rule. Um, the musician would have to have, have to be over 80% kind of real and mm. true to themselves and mm. not be faking it. Which is quite hard, I think. Quite hard, but it's, it's, in the music industry, that's mostly about 
material things and selling products and mm. it's, it's pretty tough but not within folk and within I, I don't know hip-hop there's a lot of genres that yeah. kind of skirt around yeah. the whole corporate thing but I mean it's such a hard reality yeah. that music is just being used for all the wrong reasons mm. so I guess it's nice to play a role in, in uh, magnifying what music is to us and how absorbing it really helps um, us listen to ourselves and mm. have conversations with ourselves. Yeah, and I, and with folk, it's kind of, it's so ancient almost. It's it's the humans telling stories to each other and passing on wisdom and, you know, let, you know, releasing emotion in a group. Emotion in a group. Like Liam Mumwaley said that the best, like before I had started filming anything, just as a musician, Liam Mumwaley, I was at a gallery opening and I hadn't met the man yet. But I really admired him for. Mm. I've had I had brief encounters with him where I, he made it clear what kind of musician he was. Um, the first one was in a nightclub, like when I was nineteen, and Liam Mulally was there, and I came over to him, and, I, and there was some other famous person there, and I came up to Liam, and I went, "Look, Liam, hey, I'm Miles. I love your stuff. Hey, you should come over here. There's so and so from RTE is over here." And he goes to me, he goes. You go and join your dudes from RTE, but I'm going to stay right here. You know, it was real <laughs> Lee and the Cowboys. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, go, go and suck up to the RTE guys. Yeah. Immediately then, I was like, I felt bad. And I was like, what's wrong with me? And as soon as I started questioning that, it became apparent that Liam was like one of the, I don't know, one of the druids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's an amazing piece of insight to get from someone because yeah. in in film or music video or whatever it's really it's you know if you're just writing music it's you and the, the writing or it's you and the instrument but with film it's there's more involved there's equipment and there's time and editing takes time and so you somehow get pulled into the corporate version or the business version of the art yeah. more than you might if you were just with your instrument or if it's a dance or something. So yeah. that was a, a sound piece of insight, I guess, that he offered you. Like, it was. Don't worry about RT. Don't worry you about RT. It seemed to me I was more concerned with being over with the RT people because that's where musicians should be, you mm. know, than actually hanging with the druid at the bar. Yeah, yeah. And I did. I went back over to the RT people. But Liam said this thing about sitting around a fireplace, like how ancient folk music is. And the oral tradition, I guess, um, and megalithic music, you know, and mm, the cool. speech was really remarkable. <laughs> but like, I came away with it with like, oh, the, so many questions, and then slowly answering them, I guess, through my work and, mm. and, and what I do and what I, where I choose to look for those answers. And it comes up time and time again that the sitting around the fireplace and expressing the, the and it's like it's lost in Ireland, but. Every family in Ireland 50 years ago would have sang their way through Christmas. Mm. Everyone had a song, and everyone had to get up and do a song, even if you didn't want to. But the si singing is so rich in our country. And it's the kind of the community of family first and, uh, and friends. And everywhere you go, there used to be songs mm. for thousands of years. So it's that I'm looking for, I guess as well yeah it's still there it's still rich and if there's an environment i want to see music in it will have to be somewhere that's real uh, an everyday place where where song might have been heard more often than mm. than not um now 
now silenced. So is this something you factor in when you're sort of planning a shoot or like do you, yeah. obviously location is a big part and yeah. in the location, the you know, it feels very organic, your videos, you know, they feel very of that place. You know, you've, you've shot loads of stuff in Stony Batter in Dublin 7 and it's just got this beautiful culture that like it's definitely its own village stony batter you know yeah and that kind of bleeds into the music into videos the music, yeah. and is there like would you do a lot of design or planning or is it very follow the moment or how do you go about that it's 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 an odd one it's a great it's a great thing that i this first music video i did a live performance in in a house in a kitchen was one of the most exciting things i've ever done because i came out of there thinking holy shit, what just happened? Why am I so excited? And my heartbeat was racing. I was that excited to get it onto the computer and start editing it. It was just shooting in someone's kitchen. Mm. But there was a, somebody cooking at the time. And I remember thinking, first going in with trepidation, thinking, how am I going to film a live acoustic performance in a kitchen when there's somebody cooking and they were banging away in the pot? <laughs> and we kind of left it a while. And it became more and more irritating to the point where just almost jokingly I got up and started filming the guy cooking <laughs> almost to kind of like you know um, prod him and um, mm -hmm. see how he would react and he just kept filming um, cooking and I just kept filming him and then finally I got the performance in the kitchen with no cooking but in the edit there was just an accident where well, there was where the, I put the cooking on top of the performance and it, and it, it all worked out it was like Oh, it was fine that mm. he that he was there cooking, and like I totally have to include that, and that's in my own little head. Not going to film school in my own little head, I realized, oh, this is what they figured out in the twenties or whatever. Mm. You know, you can cut different moments from time to mm. put them together as if it's like ten cameras. So, um, I think going back to your question, uh, I do that a lot now. When I get to a place, I have to include everything that's in the environment mm. uh, and, and the more I've gone kind of the more I've quickly just got the street outside and what, what are people are doing on the street outside the more surprises there are in the spontaneity of it you know and like going into a project with no idea what's going to happen but just going into a community and being quick enough to catch all the little things that are happening around you they're like golden moments where it's just so exciting to happen upon them without planning it. You mm. know? And it feels really spontaneous. I mean, they, they feel like documentaries. Yeah. Like you've captured an entire moment. So it wasn't just the moment of the music, but it was the moment of the people, the moment of the musician, yeah. the moment of the community. Yeah. And somehow it all feels like it's all this one moment that you're pulled inside of as the yeah. viewer, as the audience. Yeah, I put up this dome around the area mm. mile radius and just capture <laughs> the miles radius the miles <laughs> and capture everything that's happening in the miles radius mm. and then um, try and weave it all together to look like you know we're just kind of um, our astral um, our experience of it is very much floating into it mm. and um, you're kind of present there as a ghost and you float away um, but the most important thing is that the music is being played in its live performance. And yes. That really ties everything together. There's no fooling live performance. Mm. You know, it's, it's very real. It's, a, it's, it's part of the musical experience that we all need to have beyond just listening to a recording and loving a recording to actually see the music being played live lifts the music to a place where you you never forget it, you know, this mm. nostalgic 
it's just an extra dose mm -hmm. that people need. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it is like you've captured a moment in time that yeah. will stand the test of time because there's yeah. a, so, you know, there's a visual richness to seeing kids playing wildly in the streets or like, I think you've one or two with horses, like some of the lovely, the Definitely. Dublin horses and, yeah. you know, there's just, and it's as if you've sort of documented this moment in time that is timeless and priceless and beautiful mm. and you can go back to it 10 years later and it's it's got a kind of truth in it or like a documentary truth as opposed to just being a music yeah. video that's it and like thank you so much that's the biggest compliment ever because that's exactly what i'm trying to do is make these timeless snapshots um if i ever think this uh, just me being precise and i'm talking about all this spontaneity so much but mm. me being precise precise is definitely making sure that my camera moves are this, it's pure. There's no kind of uh, swoosh pans or like mm -hmm. quick uh, mm. stuff going on. It's very pure, long, cubic, try to be symmetrical as much as possible. Yeah, kind of. yeah. Uh, there is a bit of anal retention in there, <laughs> but I make it quick. Uh, there's lots of good footage I, that where the content was great, but mm. the camera work was sloppy and I okay. didn't, don't use that footage. Ah, okay. There's other moments where the camera work is surprised myself because mm. um, I might have been like running and filming and out of breath and still held it steady or whatever so, and then suddenly there's a sunset and it's beautiful and I'll, I'll use that over 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 um, an, another priceless moment that isn't filmed so well mm. so you're, it's like you're finding your own language your own grammar in a way because mm. those quick pans and flashy zooms can be quite television-y but in the hands of a certain director, it becomes their signature, and yeah. it's cool, you know, but yeah. it has to be, they have to evolve that grammar for themselves where you're convinced by it. Yeah. And I think with the grammar you've created for your music videos and your documentaries, I can see that, I can see you have rules for yourself, because as a fellow filmmaker, I'm sort of watching the patterns, and, and because of the kind of truth you're creating in the work, I can see... Like, oh yeah, okay, He's, he knows now that he likes this type of image or he likes to move the camera in this type of way. Or I think you give a lot of reverence for the musician as well and the musicianship. So mm. the finger work and the, the vocal work and you, you give a lot of room for that. Yeah, a, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of moments actually in the live, going back to the live performance, giving something extra. I think one of the things live performance gives you... Um, Apart from nostalgia and loving the song and the lyrics being pertinent, and um, watching a musician's body language as they play mm. can tell a lot about the energy and the, of those lyrics as well. Mm. You know, it's a singer that really means what they they're singing. Yeah, the body language there's an, there's a whole other uh, description or vocab or yeah. I was, I was looking through some of the musicians that you've worked with and like I was listing like there's loads of them that I would love and I'd listen to a lot on Spotify and there's some of them that I actually discovered through your videos, which is totally cool, I think. Yeah. Um, like Cuevin O'Rahilly is like a stunning fiddle player. Um, I love the singing of Rady Pete. She's got this kind of ancient voice. Like it's so, it's, it just doesn't belong to today. It's no. kind of, it's haunting. Um, and who else then? Lisa O'Neill obviously also has this very rich, haunting voice. Also feels like she's from way back in time. Um, Martin Hayes, another amazing fiddle player. Just like, and it, what an amazing experience for you to get to be with these people and follow it's their work. It's really and, unreal. Mm. It's really unreal. I just, I, I kind of dawned on me there not so long ago. I was joining a band on some excursion, beautiful excursion to France. Mm. And 
sitting on in Paris in the airport just dawned on me like I get to go for that for these musicians it was a huge thing in their year and for me I'm lucky enough to be like with a dozen musicians to experience within a year all their mm. favorite moments of the year and I get to hop into their universes and back out again and amazing it's very it's, it's it is really amazing it's really informative to see for me everything in the music industry is first with me you know and how music works and how musicians can get paid for what they're doing. Mm. Um, I, I, I see a lot of different uh, ways of being successful. Um, mm. Like um, Glenn Hansen's way is so completely different from Lisa Hannigan's way. Mm. Um, and manage, managers and, and labels and licensing and publishing. And like, how do you get more? Who gets more? Um, Revenue from what you know, it's really insane how how varied it can be. Yeah, but that's another one of the the plus sides of experiencing. And I think it's probably something much later in life that I'll I'll think about what was the one thing they all had. You know? mm. But yeah, how do you retain your own? Because to me, you feel like a very independent filmmaker. Mm. And you know, we talked, we touched on this RT, you know internal pressure you had in your head, which someone released, Lima Winley said, well, feck or she, you know, it's cool. You don't have to go that route. There's other routes, you know, follow the Druid route or whatever it is, you know. So like, how have you kept that as part of your identity? Because, you know, you've managed to sustain something that's constantly growing and evolving and expanding. And somehow, you know, you're not, you're not caving in, you're keeping the momentum. So how do you do that? How do I do this? Um, it's funny. I still think it's a lot of, I still think just the sticking to that thing that I can't really explain about my work or that people like about it. There's the aesthetic that you mentioned earlier. Mm. I wouldn't be able to really explain that in words, but I have this thing, integrity, you know, where I stick, I stick to my guns with certain things and I always deliver deliver a video and that people are rarely unhappy with you know and as long as I'm doing that I, I see there's a constant flow of people who still want to be mm. involved so there's not really a, any dips in, in in the in the people approaching me and and there's no dips in my creative output I always feel very satisfied with mm. whatever goes out and never watch it again <laughs> but it's like it's a train um, it's just a train that I'm on, and it's great. I've never questioned it, and I'm really f fucking lucky that I'm on it. Mm. Um, and recently, it's much harder now, actually, that it really has been four months uh, where no musician has contacted me. Mm. And it's because they don't have the money. And also, a lot of the musicians I worked with, it's not like, like I want to be paid a fortune, but... You know, they just really don't have that extra 250 quid or whatever for a, a live mm. video. Or that's, uh, I might cost a lot more than that. <laughs> but like, um, there's also this kind of stagnation in there. A lot of the musicians I work with work so hard mm. to be heard and seen and everything. And they can't even go on a week's holiday unless they get a phone call from, you know, Scott from Radio One wants to interview them on the weekend because we, we do work very spontaneously. I say we, the music industry, it's very spontaneous. You know, mm. we just jump on things that happen because it's so small. So, like, there's a lot of musicians I work so hard that when 
the COVID thing happened, they also just realized, well, it, they, everybody has to stop. And so there's no race. And so a lot of musicians I know have actually just kind of stopped. Mm. I've, I got the impression they must all be writing their, you know, their opus. Like, uh -huh. But they, a lot of them just took this time not to, to try and race to get ahead mm. and think and think and dwell on it, you know, and be bored and be frustrated and mm. question why that was happening. And that's a silver lining too. And yeah, I've had some great conversations with musicians. Um, so it's really not been um, easy for me in the last four months. Mm. But thank God I, I, feel, I do feel looked after by my government. So okay. at I, the I, moment. It, it was actually amazing, I think, the, yeah. the weekly supplement that they yeah. gave to everyone who was struggling. Yeah, it's amazing. It was, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So. And do, do, you do you think that the pandemic was transformative for you in the same way you just mentioned for some musicians? Yeah, a lot, you know, um, in a big way. I went back to composing. I went back to music and played around with music, composing music. Um, I put a lot of ambient threads underneath conversations in, in my documentaries. Mm. There'll be like... A, a nice chat happening on a, on a wall in Kerry or something, and I'll have like just an atonal <laughs> sine wave going. <laughs> I love that stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah, I love it too, isn't it great? Yeah, it is. And it's totally. like, there's always this kind of like music in ambient. Mm. You must know that looking back at rushes and you hearing the ambience. Of, much going on yeah, that you can yeah. either embrace it yeah more leaves <laughs> more wind yeah or or just try and filter it out and more often than not i just embrace it to a point where adding this ambient stuff underneath as mm. well all kind of stitch stitches all totally. together yeah Isn't it lovely? and just barely audible enough to be recognized mm -hmm. but not enough to be going hey i'm here <laughs> but it creates a flow of time yeah. It's like it represents time, this continuous kind of sound. Yeah. So everything, all your cuts melt into that sort of sound. It carries everything through somehow. Like bridges. Mm. Yeah, it definitely yeah. does carry everything through. And I don't notice it when I do notice it in, in other documentaries. Maybe that's a bad thing, mm. you know? Maybe it's, it's better not noticing. A song of granite for me, the Irish... Yeah, oh it's my stunning. God, stunning. That like blew my mind. I know, mind. it's such a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the long shots that everyone's so afraid to leave a shot on mm. of, of the sea for that long. Mm. Um, but they, you know, it's the, it's the ambience of the audio that did it, and it's like, I love directors that work that much. Yeah, and the, it's that crucial. It plays that much I, a part. I think he's quite daring, Pat Collins, in his documentary style. I think he really mm. does let things linger until eventually the mystery starts to come out again, you know, and yeah. it becomes even deeper. It's like if you do sit at a cliff or by the ocean for long enough, you get filled with the wonder of yeah. life, let's say. And I think he sort of evokes that in the documentary making. Doesn't he? Mm. And much in the same way that Herzog did for me in his movies in the 70s. And yes, yeah, he would totally be into that. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't know. I'd love to meet Pat Collins. Have you met him? No, I haven't, no. Love to he did. So you know, have you seen the the the, the dance show Mam? Mm -hmm. Cormac Begley did the concertina in it. Mm -hmm. So I think Pat Collins filmed the entire. So the the way they devised that show was they had twelve weeks with dancers from around the world, and they didn't have 
a script or a story or a concept. They actually built it as a team. Wow. So he recorded every single day. So I think they've got hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage. So I think he's editing that at the moment. I would love to see that documentary. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing because the show is stunning. So stunning. I burst out crying when it was over. I was like, oh, I'm so moved. It's just so rich, you know. <laughs> yeah. And the and Cormac Begley's music in it was very beautiful. Michael Keegan Dolan. Oh, like, he's. What the hell? He's stunning. Yeah. He's one of the best choreographers in the yeah. world. Like, he has to be. He's just... Yeah. There's so much expression coming out of him. I think they're really sound. Mm. I think they're all really sound heads. Yeah, I haven't met Michael Keegan Dolan, but yeah. my friends have worked with him. He sounds amazing. Keeps chickens and pigs and kind of... You know. Oh, very good. Keeping it real, like, <laughs> down-to-earth kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, that could be Moncom Morgan, actually. <laughs> I think that's his buddy. Mm. Yeah. Um... Oh, I do really respect him. Are there other Irish d- directors? Here? It's so funny that most of what I do is film, but I don't really recognize a lot of what's happening in the film industry, mm. as well as he would definitely. Yeah. I, I witness actually more of it through you than mm. anyone. Yeah. Because um, I get, like, one of the things you do is you put out the work yourself, don't you? Yeah. So you don't need to worry about the festival circuit or about television, you know, getting broadcast or... Yeah. So you have this direct line with your audience. There's a direct line there, and especially now with the Patreon, where I'm just paid directly mm. uh, the, 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 with these wee donations directly. And that's, but that's building up, you know. It'd be amazing if, if, I had, if I could sustain myself with just the love of the audience. Mm. You know, it's not yeah. anything. Uh, but it is like it's a lonely thing. You also get caught in a lonely trap when you mm. can do all the filming yourself. It doesn't matter if you're a musician or if you're like. Uh, or if you just film music, or if you just film surfing, or if you just film like you know skateboarding, or your hip hop friends, or like it's very lonely when you can do it all by yourself. Mm. Eventually, for me, it felt like a very lonely place in 2015, 16, where uh, there was no crew. I didn't have a crew, um, and didn't have anyone to bounce off. Um, that can be it can become tiring as well, and mm. you kind of alienate yourself then as well from there's an industry people who work together to create the same kind of things mm. and they alienate yourself from those people yeah i found that kind of strange you know mm. i'd be in a room with a new, a new like they'd be there's a great director but he's with all his crew mm. and it's like um, it felt like he was having more fun than me <laughs> so we i started the this ain't no disco um yes music show with yes. donald for for that reason it's mm. like to collaborate. Time to, yeah, time to be working with people mm. and quickly realizing that making that work is actually 10 times more, makes 10 times more of an impression in the world when there's 10 times more people, I feel. That's mm. what I think in my head. It's like, it's a stronger, solid okay. thing. That's what I feel in my head for some reason. Is it because you can scale up with a bigger team or is it because the fact that there's a team gives you more confidence in it or what's the... Yeah, the big fact that there's a team might might give me more, make me less anxious about the shoots for mm. sure. Less anxious about like uh, capturing the content. Uh, it's kind of like, it's it's kind of feels like I could retire a little bit uh-huh. you know yeah yeah <laughs> take a back seat yeah we did a, yeah we did a show there the other we filmed a, a band acid granny who uh-huh. played techno in a trolley yeah i've seen them they're freaking yeah. amazing oh like 4 a.m on a saturday night crossing o'connell bridge <laughs> and suddenly there's 200 people raving on o'connell bridge they're <laughs> deadly they're <laughs> deadly they are unbelievable yeah 
uh, recently I just um, I didn't pick up a camera for them I enjoyed them so much yeah uh, yeah there's a camera volunteer there and they filmed everything hilarious because you kind of just want to lose it with them like they bring yeah. out the madness in everybody <laughs> so they're fun. actually perfect for this ain't no disco mm. um, because in this time in I think people got the impression because this ain't no disco is kind of this underground music show making it being made for no money voluntarily by people all volunteering in their spare time incredibly busy like sound engineer and producing mm. everything all in their spare time creating this show about underground the underground music scene in you know in empty places and stuff and then COVID happened and uh, the uh, other voices team who I love mm. um, Philip King and Eva Woodlock started filming uh, inside big empty places and just kind of the only, it, making it feel so underground and I mm. thought okay damn we have to go even more underground now. <laughs> So you found acid so granny. It's like yes. That's definitely like the lowest level of the underground. Yeah. It's the lowest uh-huh. level. And uh, damn, I shouldn't have said that. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, they'll go digging now. Yeah, yeah, they'll go acid Um No, it's funny. It's funny. Every, everyone thought we would be more proactive in COVID because mm. it kind of suits us because we were doing that before. Mm. Um, it's funny. I went into a, I went into a place of playing more music up in my attic. Um, and really enjoying soundtrack music, specifically soundtrack music. Mm. And I felt I could create, still create my films, big landscapes, clouds, you know, o- mm. ominous clouds that were beautiful, ominous mm-hmm. clouds. You know, th- that kind of like, oh, I love Irish weather. Rain is still oh, gorgeous. Oh, we have the it? best clouds in this country. <laughs> yeah. Like they're ama- like the West Coast has the best clouds. It's the best clouds. It's stunning. Yeah. You've got the entire Atlantic Ocean to bounce the light back up against the clouds. Oh. And then you've got all this just tumultuous rain going on all the time and may like I, honestly yeah. for, i've been loads of places and i'm never as impressed as i am with the west yeah. of ireland yeah best skyscapes best skyscapes but i guess for me the first two weeks of covid not having those mm. was a pain in the hoop mm-hmm. but then being able to create the sense of those with music mm. ambient music for me was a... you're still getting all that satisfaction that creative satisfaction <sighs> Yeah, I'm still getting all of that visual. Mm. I spent a lot of time closing my eyes, listening back to myself like a narcissist, <laughs> uh, visualizing the things I wanted to visualize mm. perfectly well, mm. feeling that I was there then, with the breeze and everything. Mm. Ambient, ambient uh, drone and neoclassical is my genre. Nice. I've been told. Yeah, by, yeah, yeah. Uh, by Spotify. Great. I work a lot with my sister. She composes for all my films and... So that's kind of a lot of the train we would be in musically as well. And Adam, she's amazing. Yeah, she does loads of great stuff. She's got like at least eight synthesizers. I mean, yeah. her house is bonkers. You you walk in and you like they're like pets, you know, and she's yeah. named them all. <laughs> and she's like, oh, Mia, can I just play this new one that I bought yesterday? And like, do these wacky mad sounds. And it's so much fun. Like she's just very passionate about it. You know? Sorry, I can see why. Yeah, yeah. So I lo- like I definitely love like soundscape and what you can do in film just and it can be quite subtle and you can just steer the audience's emotions over here over here or you can stitch yeah. time together or yeah. you can do quite a lot with it. Yeah. Sounds. And so where where do you think you're headed? Like are you are you, what are, are there other projects is this ain't no disco going to keep going or um this it's really be honest, like this ain't no disco is hanging by a thread really right now. Mm. It's like all of the team that were involved that made it work so well, um, all under so much pressure to, to at the moment because all the entertainment sector and the film sector and all that that's just mm. all out of work. Yeah, um, yeah. And I guess 
it's just kind of winded us in terms of funding. And we have one big Arts Council application out there. It's our third one. Mm. Uh, we were rejected last year because we didn't file it under music. Instead, we filed it under film. Oh, no. And this was their actual response oh, to the rejection. so annoying. Yeah. Sure. So I went and met them. like went and knocked on their door and went, uh, hey, uh, what was that about? Like, that is ridiculous. We filed it. You liked the proposal, but you we filed it under the wrong category. Oh, that's so infuriating. Yeah. Uh, they did have one thing to say about we would like to see more female audiences. Balance is bit okay. off, like 40, 60, and yeah. you filed it under the wrong uh. thing. So we, <laughs> so we did an even better, incredible application for the, you know, the full vision, mm. so the full funding. We would all not do anything else if we got this funding, but the show. Um, and th that I think that we were supposed to have an answer for that like a month ago or so. Okay, but everything is postponed. Everything's postponed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like if we get that, um, hopefully our producer won't be emigrating and, you know, mm. uh, we can keep going. Mm. And But myself and Donald Neen still magically get to do what we do, you know. Yeah, amazing. Uh, he, he's doing podcasts like this and mm. interviewing musicians he loves. Mm and doing all that and I, I still get to go out and silently witness performances happening and mm. so we're both still doing it but we need the crew especially our producer Lauren Barry and we need her mm. to have the patience to make us think about narrative arc and stitching it all together mm. and it's a beautiful thing to say no disco you know it's a lot for, to ask for for an audience to sit down for an hour and, mm. and just just be absorbed in music but we're surprised at the amount of people that do enjoy it okay do you have have you noticed more views since the pandemic um the, yeah it, it, there was a surge when the pandemic happened okay. and we kind of hopped on it by po by kind of like um sponsoring a few posts on facebook and mm. tweeting about it more and, and making individual videos of the shows so there right. has actually been a lot of I guess it's been getting out there and people are more aware of it now. Mm. Yeah. There's five shows there that are timeless, I should hope, forever. Yeah. <laughs> when people go to them, they're like, when was this filmed? Um, apart from the obvious like hairstyle that might look, <laughs> might date quickly, mm. it's the, they're really honest uh, performances right down to the way the musicians perform. There's no, um, it's acoustically. And, so there's five episodes there, but we really, really do want to make another mm. um, two or three, another three. Yeah. And we were starting to add in the Gaelic festivals, the the, the Samhain, Lunasa. Mm. Um, we're starting to. We're, I was really excited by some of the footage I got of some of the Gaelic festivals. Oh, you know, cool! Some of the ancient Celtic festivals, and working those. I've in still never been to any of those. I don't know how. Oh, Amazing. I need to, yeah, I know. Everybody tells me they're amazing. <laughs> Saving the best to last. Yeah, yeah, big time. You know, it, it's, I, I felt like that at the Samhain parade in Clonakilty. Mm. I definitely felt like, why am I only discovering this, you know, in 40s? Like, uh -huh. I should have been going to these as a kid. Yeah, because they're meant to be beautiful. They're so beautiful. Mm. And I've never seen, like, the expressions on the kids' faces, um, like, Patrick's Day, the kids are kind of in the audience, kind of like laughing, picking their nose and eating crisps <laughs> and pulling their dad's hair. Like, and then Samhain, they're all just absolutely stupefied. There's mm. no, they, they, they don't know what they're looking at. So they're just taking it in like sponges. And then I'm sure for months afterwards, they'd be like, and dad, what was that? 
character with the you know, the big bottle pouring the bottle over himself, and the <laughs> the other character was hitting him with a hammer, and <laughs> they had huge noses and ears, and you know and those stories, those questions are really important, mm. especially this time of Clonakilty that witnessed the Samhain parade in September. There must have been about two thousand kids there, and I'd say those kids are all still asking those questions, and all of those questions go back to ancient Irish mm. stories and our cultural, genetic heritage and history it's yeah. all in there yeah. you know all our, the emotional memories of our ancestors all in there mm. it's packed with information that they might more easily understand because it's it's, it's kind of just living in their genes almost mm. so i love i love that that happened it made me cry actually it's one of those times where i'm filming i'm filming through tears yes and yeah smiling yeah i've had that you know it's a wonderful experience <laughs> isn't it great yeah i filmed um the artist campaign through Peel the Eighth held this beautiful parade in Limerick and yeah. I started in the Magdalene Laundry, which is now the art college. And they were all dressed in black. And uh, as soon as they started to leave the grounds, I just welled up at mm. the meaning and the power of it. And, you know, Ireland having been a place where women were brutally oppressed to being a place where we're about to have this pinnacle vote that will change women's autonomy forever, hopefully. And so I was like, oh, keep it together, Mia, keep it together. I can't see through the camera because my eyes are so watery. <laughs> but I'm still like smiling at the same time because of it's a parade and it's art and it's like people unifying and expressing themselves for a unified meaning. And yeah, yeah I definitely get those. Yeah. Your stomach's like full of kind of butterflies and you're like welling up. And, and that's what's so addictive, isn't it? Mm. And I think the more of those you have as a filmmaker, it's like, they're almost like accomplishments too. You know? Yeah, yeah. And when they go away, you need to be worried. Mm. Um, not drinking coffee and things <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah it is, it's those moments of magic where you've documented something so great that very much surpasses you and it's like you got to be privy to this moment in time. Almost like it was given to you. Mm. you had the patience to and weather the storm. Mm. And then we mentioned, um, so you do a lot of self-shooting mm -hmm. um, and then you've done this collaboration, and but you also do a bit of documentary. Yeah, it's interesting that like a music video maker specifically who only thinks about what he does in terms of music and even in, in the industry, it's music and only deals with managers and publishers, publishers. And like, it's hard to think outside of music video. It was for like, five or six years but then I did it then I had this major accident where mm. I ended up in an ICU um, I, I was in a coma breathing through my neck you know and eating food through my nose and it was awful mm. um, and being told I had 50-50 chance of living and all the rest of it and I came out of that thinking right I need to like um, I, almost like a race to make a full length film to, mm. to leave that behind me because I'd always thought, kind of teased about the idea well how would I do it if you know with music within music and um, so I kind of hit on what that was with my first one was Sister India which is going back to where had given me the infection this life-threatening infection going back to the place mm. and going back and all like I don't know everyone was like don't do it Miles what the hell <laughs> I, got, I got to like eating their food again, going back into the slums and mm -hmm. then playing with the kids again in their slum, in the slums, the happiest life forms I've ever met. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, making a film about, about a nun over there who just practices niceness. 
Hmm. I'm not religious. I'm, I'm hmm. really, really quite atheist. But um, this this woman is just so matter of fact about everything, and she's 86. Hmm. She's Irish, and she um she wasn't going to come home ever again. And I was asked to go over and just interview her, and uh, I jumped on it because uh, it's India, and it tried to kill me. Mm. But then after that, I uh, got really used to, made a documentary about her. It was really beautiful, it was full of music, beautiful, beautiful music. So if anything, it's, it's you know, maybe it's better if you close your eyes and don't even watch it. <laughs> but after that, yeah, made a few more documentaries. Um, but using music as the kind of route, you know, the music would be the first thing that goes in the timeline. Mm. And um, if the musical works, then... I'm just embellishing that with a visual narrative. Wow, interesting approach. Because <laughs> I guess when it, uh, I guess sometimes what I do is I do what you'd call a radio edit, where you get your narrative without work. You know, you don't think about the image and you don't think about the music. You sort of think about the narrative, which is, ma you know, mainly built through the dialogue, the conversations, and maybe the interviews if just talking heads or whatever. Yeah, and then. But I, which is really important to do because you want to have your narrative. But I'm like, what are the pictures? And I get really, <laughs> I'll just look at the pictures for a few minutes and then I get completely pulled into the pictures and I forget the dialogue. And then I would do maybe what you're doing and I'd start putting the music to the pictures because yeah. it's the, the kind of fun, expressive part of being in the yeah. edit, you know, yeah. rather than the structured kind of the writer's part, which is crucial. But yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm always at, at odds of which approach to take or how to start out or yeah. I get torn. That's 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 a really admirable, you know, thing as well. I can't go there. I almost feel like a total wimp. Not I'm not willing to take on the challenge of what questions will I ask and what answers do I want and what narrative and what story do I want to tell. I do a I do a lot of turning up in a place, hoping that there'll be some cool character who's you know who doesn't mind being filmed without permission <laughs> yeah but i mean it, you know it's just a, a style and approach yeah. a vision you know yeah there's no right or wrong there's no right or wrong i guess there is no right or wrong yeah the film industry yeah you're in the you're in that side of the industry i'd love to know loads more about it mm -hmm. turn the podcast on you yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> really was um, nothing about it yeah i mean it's it's spontaneous and it's you know you make it up as you go along i think in the film industry mm. um and i didn't come from the national film school where a lot of people set up crews quite quickly and you kind of have it gives you a foundation then you can move into the industry because you've got a team behind you so i was like you i was a self-shooter for years i did a lot of music videos i did promos i mean i just did whatever i could make a little bit of money from um, and then it wasn't until a few years in that I was finally able to have a crew, which was very exciting. Yeah. And, you know, have finally have a camera person and yeah. have people around me. So it's a slow process. Like, as well, mm. it's just kind of... Yeah, yeah. It took, well, it took me years to get yeah. to that yeah. place. And now, actually, a lot of my time is spent writing right. and, like, figuring out. And it, whether it's doc or not, I'm still writing. So I would write my documentaries like they're stories mm. in the same way that if I'm, like, I've got a short drama coming up. And you just do a lot of writing. Um, yeah. So I can get the loneliness thing you're talking about as well. Yeah. So even though I have a crew, I still have to go through these long phases of isolation to build up the project. And um, and so I, I'm coming, I do a lot of docs. So I love the spontaneity of just following a story. 
And you know, okay, just kids in the room, great kids are always wild. You just trust that the kids are going to be fun, and you just you know you just roll, and it's going to be good. Yeah. Um, whereas with now, what I'm trying to do is like really figure out the story and figure out the the structure of the story and the meaning, which means like days or weeks alone at the computer or with a notebook. So that can be a little bit isolating as well. Yeah, it I, must be. I I think being an artist, you have to go into those isolated moments you have to have that time where you're away from the world and away from the noise of life and yeah. you can reflect yeah. and you have to balance your emotions within that so that you don't it doesn't you know you, you tell yourself it's not a lonely thing as best you can so that you can endure it and then you go back out and you're, you're with everybody again i guess yeah and do you think that's a good thing to do um do you manage to put aside time every day to do that or do you do, you do it in a block like go away somewhere and do it for like two weeks and yeah, I, I think I need to do it in blocks because my head gets so sucked into the thing I'm doing. And, you know, if I'm juggling three projects in one day, I'm my mind is stretched too thin or my imagination is stretched too thin and I'm kind of compromised. So I prefer having chunks of time for each project. That, I mean, that's not how it works out a lot of the time. Obviously, someone calls up, you're like, oh, God, OK, I better do this thing this evening or whatever. You know, you have to go with it. But if yeah. I can have chunks of time, it's I love that a lot more. That you've said it's evolved to the point, you know, just like me out there doing things solo just for, for whatever money, and that it's evolved to this where you get these chunks of time. That's incredibly more like, creative, um, deeper, deeper satisfaction in that. Yeah, there is in a way. There is, because I'm actually spending more time in my imagination wondering about the images that I really want to put on screen or wondering about the characters that... You know, like I'm writing a feature film at the moment and I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's a kind of coming of age young woman story where she has to overcome uh, the trauma of rape and finally be able to fall in love, which she's kind of put off. And I'm having a lot of fun in how I move those characters through their world and what they go through. And so there's a huge creative freedom, which is amazing. And like we were saying earlier, I don't have to rely on anybody to write that. That's yeah. entirely my own. Yeah. The only responsibility I have is making time. And, and, you know, making sure I can eat and get my basics done during that time. But otherwise, I have absolute freedom to write whatever I need to write. But, but then, yeah, I still miss like, oh, if I just go out with a camera and just like capture the world and get that energy. And, you know, you get nourished by that as well. There's a nourishment, nourishment in that. Mm. I think, do I have a story I want to tell? You know, I feel very quiet as a person. Mm. Odd to be a filmmaker with uh, such a large body of work and not really have ever wanted to tell my own mm. story or anything that might. Yeah, but I mean that that is your gift as far as I can tell because mm. that's what allows you to go into these intimate musical settings and capture them so beautifully. Yeah, without imposing or. Yeah, but not even without imposing. It's like your ability to listen and your ability to witness is very fine-tuned, more than probably most who would be very busy trying to get a fancy shot and, and not actually really seeing and hearing what's happening. So the silence is a kind of gift, I guess. Yeah, oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> um, and then I, we, we might kind of wrap it up and... I'd like maybe, you know, if you had passing words of wisdom to the, you know, the next generation of music video makers, documentary makers, you know, what would you like for them to know from you? Um, I, 
I think, with my own experience, not having ever thought I'd become a filmmaker, coming from music and being so passionate about music and exploring every part of music um, as a passion and a hobby. And um, it was so easy to document that then, to film that. And I think in a very, very visual age, I think anybody young left a camera, anyone um, old enough to press record should be documenting what they're interested in and what they're investigating now. We're moving into a visual age. And, uh, instead of diaries, maybe we should be making, you know, <laughs> writing diaries and hiding them under our pillow. We should be making films and putting them on YouTube and mm. connecting and communicating that way. I think wisdom. I think if, if you're documenting something you're very, very passionate about, it's only ever going to be satisfying and rewarding. Mm. You know? is born sometimes in fire and uh, sometimes there's this hurt and there's things that can be worked through by expressing yourself um, this advice I think everyone's doing it everyone is moving everyone's definitely receiving more visual images and film and video and clips and the rest and eyes are becoming highly attuned to composition and uh, Four-year-olds know their horizon line is off, and like, <laughs> I think it's happening now. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just, I just encourage everybody to do feel more about what they love and what they're passionate about. And uh, if you're definitely, if you're young, let that develop into mm. a story that you can eventually tell, and then eventually heal, heal you in many, many, many ways. Mm. Great. That's it. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Oh, grand. I really enjoyed that. Did you? <laughs> yeah, I did. It was great.